Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World, Hank Waters, I'm Charlie Pellet. This update brought to you by Brown University School of Professional Studies, engaging mid-career professionals with executive master's degrees in business, cybersecurity, healthcare, and technology. Brown.edu slash executive. Now let's head right over to the first word breaking news desk for today's afternoon call. And here he is, Bill Maloney. And good afternoon, Charlie. Main U.S. averages are climbing today with the Dow currently higher by 76 points. SEBs gain nine, while the NASDAQ climbs 22. The small cap 600 is up six points and the U.S. 10 yield at 2.34%. Nine out of 11 SB sectors are trading higher led by gains in materials, financials, and energy. Only telecom and consumer discretionary fell. NASA Biotech's rise 13, transports jump 61, semis outperform, climbing 1.4%, and the VIX is higher by 0.8%. Leaders to the upside in the Dow are Cisco, J&J, and Caterpillar, while Verizon and GE led to the downside. NVIDIA jumps another 4.5% to a record. J&J rose 2.8%. Shares are upgraded over at J.P. Morgan, while Tesla fell 3%, was cut to equal weight over at Morgan Stanley. Live from the First Breaking News Desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Charlie? Thank you very much, Bill Maloney. And to hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg type squawk, S-Q-U-A-W-K on your terminal. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Thank you very much, Charlie Pellet. You're listening to Bloomberg Markets on Bloomberg Radio. I'm up on the road. One side's hate and one is hope. So our next reporter poses this question in his latest reporting. To protect the poorest Americans, should central bankers raise interest rates faster? Matthew Bosler is Federal Reserve reporter at Bloomberg News in our Bloomberg 1130 studio and here to explain. So, Matt, what's the story about? So... One of the uh, biggest hawks on the Federal Open Market Committee, uh, Esther George, the Kansas City Fed president, uh, a few weeks ago she was giving a speech and she was talking about how, you know, right now there's this big debate at the Fed over how much they should let inflation run above their target, given that, you know, they're at the zero bound and they're trying to make more space for them to raise interest rates, this sort of thing. And she was kind of replying to that saying, you know, I'm not so encouraged when I see inflation going higher like that because um, it really hits the poor the hardest uh, because it's basically a tax and, and they're the ones who can afford it the least. And so she kind of was making this counterintuitive argument that maybe the Fed should be tightening faster in order to curb inflation, in order to protect the poorest. And that's kind of not really what we typically think about when we think about the distributional consequences of inflation. So it does kind of raise this interesting question about, well, what are those consequences and how do they all fit together? Right. Not part of the Fed's mandate. That's right. (laughs) And that's why usually Fed officials don't like to talk about this as much. Yeah. But it kind of does give you an interesting entry point into this conversation, which we don't talk about a lot, which is what is the relationship between Fed monetary policy and some of these hot topics like inequality that have really exploded in the past several years as a major, uh, you know, political issue. Right. Well, and, and to that, just to, to be clear, the, the notion there isn't that the poor spend more money, but the most that they spend most of, or I shouldn't say most, they spend all of their money. And, and they tend to spend it in ways that, where they don't get any benefits from, uh, tax breaks and so on. So they, they, you know, tend to pay the most and hit, is that, 
that is regressive tax. Yeah, yeah, and a big part of it too is that you know, for wealthier individuals, they have a lot more access to different uh, savings vehicles. So, for example, they could uh, diversify more into treasury bonds that would be less susceptible to inflation because uh, interest rates on those bonds, for example, might go up. Whereas, uh, you know, poorer people without as much wealth. They just have maybe a little bit of money sitting in their bank account, and there's really not much they can do to protect that small sum from inflation. You also say specifically too that you know Esther George was talking about rental inflation, right? I mean, a lot of people at the lower end of the income spectrum are often renting. Is that what she means? Yeah, no, yeah. exactly. And so she kind of you know frames it as this sort of uh, you know transfer from renters to landowners. And so that was one thing in particular she was concerned about. Now, it's interesting because over the last few years, there have been, uh, you know, some studies and some work that's been done on this to kind of look at this, because there are a lot of different channels, including those ones that we've talked about, through which inflation can have redistributionary consequences. And on net, what these studies find is that typically um, some of the other uh, channels like the fact that inflation is typically a redistribution from creditors to debtors because it reduces the real value of that debt. Mm-hmm. Those sorts of things tend to outweigh the, that sort of inflation as a regressive tax. And on net, easier Fed policy is usually associated with more progressive uh, distributional outcomes. Uh, it, it's, it's intriguing, too, as, as Carol um, uh uh, alluded to that, that, that this mission drift, however high-minded this might be, this notion of mission drift um, is is an important one because this is not sort of traditional Fed mandate. Yeah, no, that's right. And especially, uh, you know, at a time when uh, Republicans have come into power both in Congress and the White House, and one of the big things that they've wanted to do over the last several years is make the Fed more accountable on interest rates. And they've really wanted to see the Fed uh, raise interest rates higher. And so the idea that, you know, maybe the Fed is now thinking – um, you know, run easier policy, run inflation a little higher. That's not necessarily something that their biggest adversaries in Congress really want to hear right now. I mean, historically, if we take a look back, um, have we found this kind of inflation as regressive tax argument? Does it make sense? How's it played out? So not really. That's the thing. I guess that's what these studies are kind of okay. showing. But the the idea goes back uh, pretty far because uh, it sort of dovetails with this notion that the Fed has done a good job of keeping inflation low and stable, and people have been happy with that. And so right. they, they have a lot of independence to set interest rates where they want, free from political pressure, and that's one reason why. And so to the extent that, you know, now this conversation is sort of opening up um, and it might threaten that, you know, that's sort of an issue that they want to avoid. And so they want to kind of stick with that. Um, you know, we are doing the right thing and, you know, our actions do help everybody. That's kind of what we've been doing sort of thing. But it's a different backdrop. Like, as you mentioned, the political backdrop where we've talked and stressed and seen candidates in the U.S. and really elsewhere around the globe come into power because of dissatisfaction and a a big part of the electorate feeling like they've, they've been left out when it comes to economic gains. Right. And remember, too, I mean, the major development is that we've been at the zero bound of interest rates for so long, and right. you have central banks around the world trying to rethink, do we need to rethink our entire operating framework to allow ourselves more room to operate in downturns? And so, uh, you know, you, you kind of have all these things going on at once that kind of come together in this in this conversation. It's what I call a very thoughtful piece. Thank you. Matt Bozler, thank you so much. Federal Reserve reporter here at Bloomberg News joining us in our Bloomberg 1130. 
Studio. Coming up, folks, what's going on in the world of business? Your top business stories, along with an update on trading. Carol Master, Corey Johnson, and this is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Markets. Is indeed Bloomberg Markets. Corey Johnson, our AM960 studios out here over the San Francisco Bay. Carol Masser, back in Midtown Manhattan in our 1130 studios at Bloomberg World Headquarters. I am indeed. Coming up, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on uh, in the insurance industry, particularly uh, healthcare executives and why they're watching what's going on in the tech world. It's kind of a remaking, if you will, of the industry, but we'll we'll dig into the details in just a moment. First up, though, to Charlie Bellet with a look at uh, top business stories and the markets. All right. Thank you very much, Carol. Thank you, Corey. 28 minutes to go ahead of the bell. Two former Walmart workers are now suing the discount retailer, alleging it would not accommodate them with lighter duties while they were pregnant and calling it a pattern of company-wide discrimination. Walmart shares, they are trading higher today. Uh, Walmart is advancing right now as we check Walmart shares. Uh, Walmart is up by about uh, roughly 49 cents. Some of the other stories that we're continuing to follow for you today, stocks climbing after equities posted their first back-to-back drop in almost a month as investors await earnings reports this week. The CBOE volatility index remaining at lows not seen in a decade right now. Uh, the VIX is at 10.38. Dean Kernett is the CEO of Macro Risk Advisors. He was on Bloomberg Television this morning talking about volatility or the lack thereof. I would just point to flows. So Bill Gross once called uh, share buybacks, he called it corporate QE. Right. I would call the new corporate QE Jack Bogle's Vanguard Fund. He's getting stuffed with a billion dollars a day, and the money just has to be put to use. He's not timing the market. He's not doing any research. That's indexation. It just buys in a price-agnostic fashion. The flows are dominating everything. Al Nylum Pharmaceuticals jumping the most in more than two years after its competitor, Ionis Pharmaceuticals said a patient died in a final stage trial of its treatment for a rare disease. Al Nylum shares up 15.4, Ionis down 7.3%. S&P up 10, up 4 tenths of 1%. The Dow up 81, a gain of 4 tenths of 1%. NASDAQ up 4 tenths of 1%. NASDAQ is at a record. Gold up $3 the ounce to 1230, higher by 2 tenths of 1%. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Thank you very much, Charlie Pellet. We're counting down to the closing bell, brought to you by Upside, the smart new way to buy travels, Upside.com. Save money and get a free gift card every trip. Use the code BUSINESS, and they're guaranteed at least a $100 gift card for your first time using Upside.com. Minimum purchase required. See the site for complete details. being turned around and upside down. We talk about disruption, healthcare, no exception. And healthcare executives watching very closely the tech industry for what's to come. Shanali Basak is our insurance companies and boutique investment banks reporter at Bloomberg News. She wrote this story 
with our Ed Hammond, and she joins us in our Bloomberg 1130 studio in New York. So what's going on here, Shanali? Sure. So Lazard, one of the biggest independent investment banks, did a study with more than 213 C-suite executives. It's pertinent coming from Lazard because they worked on that big J&J Actelian deal that we saw this year. And then they also worked on the Aetna merger. So, of course, that's been unraveling due to antitrust. That's unraveled due to antitrust concerns. So people wanted to hear from them, okay, fine. So where do you see opportunity in the M&A landscape? A lot of them do see public company acquisitions, but something we thought was even more interesting was that a sweeping majority of them also saw partnerships or deals with uh, uh, technology companies, so not even other companies in the healthcare industry, but Google, Apple, and IBM, and they went out right and named those companies in their report. That's really interesting. What does that signify? Is that because, you know, the the notion of sort of digital health records and all that stuff has been talked about forever. Now, it's an important part of the Affordable Care Act, and we actually see some movement on that. Is that the thing that's driving this? A hundred percent. So the biggest strategic challenge to all of these healthcare companies is pricing pressure, according to this study. And they see working with healthcare companies, or sorry, technology companies, bringing those costs down in a lot of ways. And we've seen this in various ways through Fitbit, for example, healthcare companies uh, providing rebates and whatnot. But, you know, we'll see if this has a really big push into uh, providing value-based care for for these uh, clients. Steve Case writes about it in his in his book, The Third Wave, and he just talks about, I'll just reiterate for everyone, we've talked with him, but that first wave of kind of technology internet was just getting everybody on the internet. The second wave was anybody and everybody could create an app. It was pretty easy. This third wave is going to require people who actually have some knowledge and expertise in various fields, like healthcare, like doctors, helping people to understand how this industry works and how can you make it better? How can technology make it better? And I just think about just purely the amount of information, Shanali, that's out there, you know, um, somehow kind of organizing it so that it doesn't cost so much to keep track of. About a half of the respondents in the study actually said that big data was going to play a large role in lowering health care costs. But uh, even funnier to me, I, I think this is kind of a cool little tidbit. The guy that did the study, now an investment banker, the one that's now saying that technology is going to change the industry, he was a physician himself. right? right. He formed an outpatient center in, in Canada. So, you know, you, you, people that are on the field that are seeing technology change how these big systems work. Um, interesting too that they they get this stuff. I mean, I, you know, in, in years past, you f- would find that the ex- the senior executives, the CEOs at some of these companies not involved in tech didn't get tech and didn't really think about tech. They wouldn't say that, of course. But if you ask them, sort of what they where they see trends and what they understand about emerging technologies, the the information seemed to be scant. But the suggestion from your story is that they actually know what they're talking about. It'll be interesting to me, as you all know uh, very well, the challenges a company, for example, like IBM has had over the years, whether healthcare could be a new frontier for a company like that. Well, and what's, what's interesting too in terms of medicine, right? This whole idea of them moving more towards, you know, keeping people healthy rather than dealing with them when they're sick. And if there's a way that the technology industry, whether through Fitbits and, you know, other wearable devices can really monitor people so that it doesn't get to crisis situations, um, if that can somehow help in dealing with the cost and really even more importantly, better treatment for more people. 
It, I think it's important for investors as well. I, this story, Corey, was totally up your alley earlier this year. Hedge funds were tracking J&J's private jet to see where their next deal would be because so many deals in the healthcare industry at that point were unraveling. Uh, Pfizer's, uh, you know, $160 billion deal with Allergan fell apart earlier this year. All the healthcare mergers falling apart. I think was a part of this survey was to give an indication of where investors should look next. Love the tracking of the private jet. One of our favorite old tricks from the business. <laughs> when you try to just figure out where that tail number had been seen last. It's a classic. Uh, fascinating. Uh, is there any net takeaway? Just got about 20 seconds here in terms of where they do think the next, is it to just watch those major big tech companies or what? Well, the thing about the tech companies, most of them do see partnerships. I mean, while mm. about half of them did see a big deal on the horizon, I think the the tech company partnership shows they should be looking out for more partnerships than outright M and A. That's interesting. So rather than the the deal the deal flow, just look for more for more linkups and partners, uh, partnerships, if you will. Shanali, thank you, Shanali Basak. She is our insurance companies and boutique investment banks reporter here at Bloomberg News, joining us in our Bloomberg eleven three zero studio. Coming up on the other side of the break, a check on uh, today's trading session. We're just about twenty minutes left in today's day. Let's look at some world and national news headlines with Nathan Hager, who's keeping track of all that from our one studios in D.C. Thanks, Corey. There is no let-up to the political fallout over the firing of FBI Director James Comey. White House spokesman Sean Spicer insists President Trump had simply lost confidence in his leadership. He knew that what he did could be detrimental to himself. It could lengthen the investigation. But he knew it was the right thing for the country, the right thing for the FBI, and the right thing to get to the bottom of this. And in light of that investigation into Russian election interference, Democrats and some Republicans are calling for President Trump to turn any tapes he might have of his conversations with Comey after he tweeted last week that the now-fired director better hope there aren't any tapes. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell will be on Bloomberg Radio and Television tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Wall Street time. President Trump's putting some focus on law enforcement with Police Week underway. We hear more about that from Bloomberg's Irv Chapman. The president said 118 law enforcement officers died in the line of duty last year. We are living through an era in which our police have been subject to unfair defamation, and vilification. Really, I mean, you see what's going on. The president asked the Justice Department to develop a strategy to combat violent crimes against law officers. A few days after Attorney General Jeff Sessions urged prosecutors to throw the book at drug and other crime suspects, with no exception for nonviolent offenders. Irv Chapman, Bloomberg Radio, Washington. And the U.N. Security Council's approved six increasingly tougher sanctions against North Korea following its latest ballistic missile test. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,600 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. This is Bloomberg.